You're listening to Anxiety Talks with Amanda Huggins. The intersection of science and spirituality, where we have real, honest, and often esoteric conversations about mental health and personal growth. Welcome back, you guys, to another episode of Anxiety Talks Podcast. I am your host, Amanda Huggins, and I am very excited about this guest. And I know I say this on every episode, but Today, I'm joined by Cindy Dale. If you are not familiar with Cindy, she's an internationally renowned author, speaker, healer, and business consultant. In addition to her one-on-one healing work, she offer in addition to her one-on-one healing work, she offers some incredible group programs and, and has written over 30 books and counting. Personally, I've come to know Cindy over the past year or so and even got to spend some one-on-one time with her. And Not only is she just a wealth of wisdom, she's such a joy to talk to. So I'm just super excited. We're going to have a good talk about chakra healing, mental health, and the energy system, the subtle body. We'll just see what comes up. So hi, Cindy. How you doing? Hi, Amanda. I'm terrific. I know when we had our one-on-one time, you work with my son. We were actually at baseball games, which is his entire life. And you're now helping him with baseball anxiety. Oh, yeah. It's so funny. I was just talking to someone, I think, two days ago about what you and I had talked about, which is how cool performance anxiety and just performance-based work is to work with, which is a mouthful to say. But when you're looking at the mental aspect of performance and then you're doing some of the in-body or subtle body healing work, you know if it's working or not right? Because you see the data or your statistics or how you show up to, you know, in your son's case, a game. And it's just really cool for friends or people who may know me. The fact that I'm doing anything involved in sports is probably insane, but it's actually been such a joy. Well, it is because I do think that's kind of what I'm up against being an expert at subtle energy, which is 99.999% of reality, by the way. So, I mean, you take out what you can see, what you can touch, what you can taste, and most of everything is invisible, subtle energy. And so that's the space who we are. That's the space of our soul. You know, so you we've got to, through any types of coaching or endeavors or trying to improve our performance, go, what am I doing? Who am I on that subtle realm? Because that builds the lattice work for what shows up in everyday reality. I want to segment out like six different things that you just said, because there's so much we could even go into in just that. But I actually kind of want to start here because I know what you mean when you say everything is 99% energy. We're not really seeing everything. We're really just taking like a tiny piece of it. I would love for those at home who are listening, I would love for you to explain it to someone who maybe has no clue what you're talking about or is like, is that just a saying? Is that just something people say? Like, that's not real, right? Because it is. And I think you could speak to that really well. Well, let's talk about that because I know when I was going through school, you know, we threw around the word energy and energy just meant the work it took to make something happen, (laughs) right? So that's classically what it is. But Einstein really put it, you know, kind of in the best kind of terminology and so have follow-on scientists when they just started at a baseline and said everything is made of energy. So we have to start there. We can't even talk about types of energy before just stating everything's energy. So what's energy? And so energy is just information that moves. Everything's made out of information. Of course, you can't see most information, right? It's not like when you're Googling. And everything vibrates or it moves, even though you don't know that. I mean, if you could really tune into all the movement of the cells or the molecules or the subatomic particles in your body, you would feel seasick. I don't want to. That's it's already enough looking at the energy that we have within ourselves. I don't I don't need to see more. I'm good. So I want to stay on this for a little bit because again, you explained that really eloquently. And when I first was introduced to this years and years ago, I was like, wait, so even when something feels very fixed, 
whether it's a feeling or a thought, that actually can't be true. It can't because everything is moving. That's a law of nature. It's a law of the universe. And yet, I think that's a perfect example of the struggle that us as humans have between knowing something conceptually and feeling it is true. Because we might know everything's moving. This thought or this feeling is not fixed. It's just energy. But it feels like we're so stuck. So I know that you're human too. You must come up against that, right? Where you get stuck and it's like, how am I as this healer going to move through some of this energy? Because you have the information, but you also still are human in a body. How do you do it? Well, exactly. Because when we're in our fear, when we're in an I can't or I won't or it's not going to work or I'm worthless and now we're all depressed. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it's real to us in that moment because we're just identifying, I almost want to call it our small self. That's not a bad self. You know, we're identifying with the body self, with the small self, and usually even then with a little tiny part of ourselves inside, right? Like an inner child part of ourself. And when we're in a sense, a feeling, and I can't, and I'm not worthy, I'm unable, when we're in that, we're stuck in a box, And that box is all we really know as real. And we don't even really understand that when we're stuck in a box of, oh, I'm in my fear. I'm never going to be successful. Mm -hmm. Or this person, why would they be interested in me? When we're in that box, we're not identifying with the part of us that's not in our box, which is most of us. Right. The bigger self isn't in that box, but but we... We line our box with feathers. <laughs> it's like, this is what I know. And we're not even aware that it's just become really comfortable. So there's the bigger self like outside going, you can open the window. Yeah. Uh, I can open the window. I can open the door. I can dissipate that feeling. I can do that. And so when I'm aware of me being in a, oh my gosh, catastrophe, or this is never going to work, or whatever it is. I do something simple. I just, and I don't do this like the right way, the yogic way. I don't go by the rules. I what are rules? <laughs> I know. I breathe out and I go, oh, I'm just in a box. I'm going to breathe beyond the box. And then I'm going to look at myself from outside of the box. <sighs> with compassion, with love, with awareness. So as soon as you feel stuck, just go, oh, I'm just in a box. That's okay. I'm in the Kleenex box. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or like a tiny, tiny little earring box. Because sometimes we get so self-minimized. We're not doing it on purpose, but it's just once one or two thoughts pile up, it's like, oh, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then all of my energy is depleted. I'm in the tiniest little box. And I like what you said about Those thoughts or feelings not actually being a part of you, right? It's not your full self, your higher self. So where do those things come from? Where do those thoughts come from? That energy. There's a gajillion zillion of them, right? So this is where we can easily be overwhelmed Mm -hmm. because the body is very much like a machine. It is a machine. Now, it's an amazing machine, Most, if you take out the water, right, which is 70% of who you are, and then you take out all the microbes that don't have your DNA, you're left with maybe 5% of the body. Wild. That is insane to me. (laughs) Okay. So think about what might be flowing in on water. Think about what might be flowing in on microbes, right, which are living organisms. So let's just like ignore that because that's really overwhelming. So all that (laughs) stuff is great and it can be good. So you just talk about like the so-called me, Cindy, I'm programmed to be on the DNA. Well, we have at least 14 generations of our ancestors' memories, thoughts, and experiences. We have all of them actually in this sort of soup around the DNA. So before you're even conceived, you have what your ancestors did or went through. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be helpful because it's supposed to save time. Like, oh, there's a dinosaur. That's scary. I can run. I don't have to learn that the dinosaur is scary by being eaten by it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we inherit all this stuff. 
And it's stored, it's actually stored on dead viruses and microbes wow. around our DNA. Yeah, it's pretty wow. interesting. So mom's pregnant, right? Mom's having experiences. We're made out of mom's cells. Mom's cells, it's called microchimerism. You know, mom's cells go in our body. Our cells go in mom's body. And all that has mom's programmings plus the experiences mom's having when she's pregnant with us. Do you know 90% of most diseases, even mental illnesses we're going to get when we're older started in the womb? Oh, I fully believe that. Fully. In the womb. Yep. Yep. You can even absorb what's going on with dad, even if you don't know hmm. dad or mom doesn't really know dad or whatever. That stuff transfers in through this subtle, more invisible energy, and it just gets encoded in you. Well, you're not even born, and don't you feel exhausted? Yes, I do. <laughs> and I know with with quite a few clients, and I'll call myself out here too, when I first even learned of the concept of generational healing, I was like, Oh no, I'm I can't. That's I'm barely keeping myself standing on two feet. How the heck am I gonna go back and heal a family line? And yes, it's a lot of energy and the concept I think can be really overwhelming, especially when you're first introduced to it. But the work doesn't have to be overwhelming. Would you agree with that? I would agree because besides what we've gathered. Right. And maybe I believe in past lives. What yes. We bring in from our own experiences through reincarnation and in between lives. And then what we're absorbing, because, again, most of us is this invisible energy, just soaking stuff up and giving out messages. Mm -hmm. Here's the here's the point of contact. We also are a soul and we are a spirit. I think they're different. Mm -hmm. I believe the soul is that part of us that goes across time, past lives, in between lives. Maybe we've been our own ancestor at some time period to have experience and learn about love. Mm -hmm. But but we're also an essence. We're a spirit. We're a spark of whatever you want to call source yep. or the divine. So honestly, our own spirit can neutralize what doesn't suit who we are. It can neutralize it. I love how we, simply you just put that. That's it. That's it. Now, we want to take the teaching, the learning. We want to go, oh, because we don't want to approach any of this from a shame-based way. No. Like, oh, I have married 15 alcoholics. Shame on me. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like, wow, there's been something I've been seeking through these experiences or through following specific of the thoughts and judgments from my ancestors or my history, right? Mm -hmm. We're not going through everything. There's certain pathways we're exploring, but our spirit can say, all right, let's cut through it. Let's go to the chase. What have you been really positively seeking? Mm. Once you gain that, the rest of it just, it literally just, it, it neutralizes. So I would love to take what you just said and put it into an example. Okay, so I'm Irish. Scarcity mindset is a pretty big generational trauma. Um, I've worked with quite a few people who also have shared the same, and it's by the way, not just Irish culture, but it's a clear example. So if someone is in a space where they recognize, like, I am in scarcity in every aspect of my life, my ability to create financial abundance or success or love or to even just take care of myself and enjoy life, where did I learn some of that? What did I assume by osmosis before I was even taking real breaths in the real world? And then when I'm working with someone more on the tactical level, we start with small choices and really deep reflection to look at like, well, how does that scarcity energy play out in my actions? How can I make small choices not to do like hard left and change everything all at once, but to warm ourselves up to that change or release of energy? And that small and simple approach, I find, can really help people on the mental level. It's like, oh, yeah, I got this. I can make this work. I'll have to edit that out. But there's also, and this is kind of what you were getting into, was asking 
the universe or asking your guides or ancestors or your healing team to also support the release of that energy. So for someone who's listening, who's like, ah, that sounds cool, but like, I literally don't know what that means. How would you tell them to approach that side of the work? So I love that need and the path being making significant but tiny changes to start Mm -hmm. with. Because, you know, I even talked about this when I talked about we have this box and it's feather lined. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason to feel guilty or shameful that we're used to what we're used to. It's our comfort zone. So being scared of certain things is our comfort zone. Feeling guilty when we ask for what we want can be our comfort zone. So we need to start, like you're saying, by seeing that we survive. (laughs) doing something different than what has been trained into us or we have trained ourselves to perceive as truth or safety. So we take the small. Here's the bigger, here's the bigger kind of approach. All right. Here's kind of the, let's go, you know, let's be the eagle, right? Or the hawk and go, can we just shift something really big every so often as well? I believe that when something doesn't work for us, and we know it, because it's uncomfortable, it doesn't feel good to be anxious. It doesn't feel good to dislike ourselves. It doesn't feel good to not have any money. It, it might be comfortable, but it still doesn't feel good. We first need to say that this is one way to meet a need. Mm-hmm but not feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By being shy, I was really shy as a kid. Not every child of my, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, because when I wasn't shy in my family, I was yelled at. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) Right? When I went out and had a good time and I came home, I was shamed. I remember my most fun experience in high school. I, it was 10th or 11th grade, and I went with the church youth group up to the Boundary Waters. I'm in Minnesota, and there's these beautiful chain of interlocking lakes. And I'm with all these kids my age, seven days out in the Boundary Waters. First thing I did was capsize a canoe, <laughs> of course. But everybody laughed. They weren't making fun of me. They, they just laughed. We had to dry the bread out uh, in the sun. Uh, <laughs> On the rocks. That's amazing. But I, I fit in. I had fun. I had, I got my first kiss ever. <sighs> I have the best time, and I'm like, I'm laughing. I'm not shy. They're bringing me out. We stayed up for like four nights in a row, and we were screwy, goofy, having fun. I'd never had that much fun since I was a really little kid, mm. and usually. As a really little kid, I had to go out and kind of hunt for rocks or crickets or whatever and have fun by myself. So I came home. I was really, really happy. I'm sitting at dinner table and my family got furious with me. My sisters yelled at me like, we had to do your chores while you were gone. My mother's like yanking my hair and saying, you just think you're important now. My dad doesn't talk. He just drank. Mm -hmm. And I got grounded for a week because I was happy. So safety, obviously, all the way through my childhood was not having fun, not expressing, not this and not that. So my need for being shy and sort of pulling into myself was to be safe, was to not be yelled at, right? Protection. It's protection. Exactly. So... From the spirit point of view, the essence point of view, that started to change for me when I realized, hey, being shy and holding back is meeting a need. It's uncomfortable, though. I've come to this place where it's uncomfortable. Maybe there's a different way to meet Mm -hmm. my need. Mm -hmm. I can be safe this way rather than being shy. I can be protected by being more of myself Mm -hmm. and shining or laughing, or screwing around every so often. So at the baseline, our spirit can sort of open up and take over. When we say, you know, I'm ready to meet my need a different way. Like, you know, I'm going to go practice. I'm going to pick different ways. I'm going to practice them. I'm going to try them on. But I'm willing to do it a different way. I think that is all critical. Yes. The willingness and intentionality to start 
has to be there. And you know when you're ready. I think the way you phrase it, just it's no longer comfortable for me to be in this space that kept me safe. That's all you need to get started. And then there is a jump when you're in that space between feeling uncomfortable and it no longer fits and no longer works. You've outgrown your hermit shell with that old behavior mentality, but your body doesn't fully feel safe yet in this new paradigm for yourself. And so that's not to say if you try a new behavior. And in Cindy's example, when she just allowed herself to start being more of herself and have fun. I imagine there were moments where you were in doubt or you were still in discomfort, maybe even sometimes more discomfort because it's foreign. This is why that intentionality is so important to start with because that will be the discernment tool so that you can check in and say, yeah, but this is the good kind of discomfort, not the kind that's actually unsafe. So then my role is to soothe my body, take myself out of fight or flight, and continue to move forward towards this new action or behavior or paradigm for myself. And that's a tricky space where I know I've self-sabotaged, especially when I didn't have information like this, because you feel like, well, it's hard. It's never going to happen. It is hard and it is scary and it might stay scary. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. So I have this new gadget on my phone right now and it records everything. It Love records that. my heart rate and this and that and the other thing. And so I've noticed on it that when I'm going to talk, when I'm going to teach or talk, not when I'm going to do client work, but when I'm going to talk, like when I came on to interact with you, my heart rate goes up. It bounces up wow. to like 100. It just bounces up to 100. And I'm good with it. I'm not, I'm good with it. I'm like, it's okay, because that shy, protective, turtle shell, whatever self, she's still there. Yeah. She's still experimenting. She's still finding out after a long time, you know, it's okay to talk. It's okay to open up. But that 100 heartbeat stays for a second. Or yes. Seconds. Yep. It doesn't define my life. It's just sort of a reminder or an echo. And I know you work with this with anxiety. I can even interpret it as excitement. Absolutely. It, they're very, very similar in the body. And what, what you're speaking to about the intensity and duration of those old patterns coming up, that to me is more of a goal than a change where you never repeat a pattern again because you're setting yourself up for failure in that sense. You're going to go back to a pattern once in a while or have that blip or the heart rate spike. It's a matter of compassionately recognizing, I think the way you put it was, oh, she's still here a little bit. Right? It's recognizing all of those parts of ourselves are still inside. We just nurture them or speak to them differently. And one of the things that I found to be very helpful as the intensity and duration starts to shorten, get a little smaller. By the way, it's not linear. So sometimes you might go into an old pattern. You're like, why am I so stuck in this? That's okay. Anyway, joy as an intentional practice for me was like the like energetic lubricant to allow myself to keep trying new behaviors because as an emotion, joy is a higher frequency emotion than fear or shame. And so the logical thought would be, well, have fun while you do the hard thing. And yes, that's true. But I also believe if we supplement our life with things that bring us joy, with things that quite literally lift or shift our vibration. When we go into those moments where we have to challenge ourselves to respond to an old pattern, our vibration is higher. We can move through that or handle it maybe a little bit differently or more intuitively. Amen. So I think, I actually believe that the other feeling constellations like sadness, fear, anger, disgust, if we stay with them and we have that heart for joy, they will lead us to joy. Joy I isn't agree. just bliss. 
They're not. It's not just bliss. It can be satisfaction. It can be relief. It can be, oh, my God, I finished the race. Yes. <laughs> I remember right. the first time, like truly one of the first periods of time where I started to just not feel anxious, I thought that I was depressed. And I knew I wasn't depressed because I, I was like, yeah, everything's great. But I was so not used to just peace really was what it was. And I, I had mentioned it to my coach and she's like, Amanda, you just, you're, you're feeling normal now. That can be joy. But it was so foreign to me because we're kind of fed. Joy is this exuberant, loud, big, and it can be. But my favorite way of, and I, I have no idea where I picked this up. Joy is knowing how to cook and happiness is a sandwich. So you love eating a delicious sandwich. It's your favorite sandwich, but it's a moment and you can make that sandwich again, but you can't have that exact one at this exact time. But knowing how to cook, it doesn't matter if you're hungry or if you do or don't have the ingredients, the state, the access, your ability to create, that never leaves you. And when you think about like the dials or the intensities of those experiences, we're not running around elated that we know how to cook, although we should be. It's just it's a part of us. So similarly, joy can be, I mean, it is an inherent state. It's really on us to recognize that it's meant to be a little bit more on the forefront sometimes, I think. Well, there's science studies about that. The HeartMath Institute is awesome in yeah. research on the heart and its electromagnetic activity. And if you hold deliberately some sense of joy, appreciation, serenity, surrender, you can come up with any term that you want. Your heart you know, rhythm is healthier. Every single organ in your body is able to talk mm -hmm. to each other. People like you better. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to make more money. Yep. You know, and I'm pretty happy most of the time, even on that sort of happy level on it. I really am. Yeah. So I, I give myself permission every so often when I'm not to be okay with it because I know joy is going to come back. I remember a few weeks ago, I was in Virginia for baseball and I maintain joy through most of it. So <laughs> first night, my oldest son and his fiance come down. They just had COVID. It rains hours and hours and hours. It's just raining. Oh, no. So I'm like, yeah, you know, we can do this. I felt guilty when my son's COVID symptoms came back. And I just thought, well, but I've got this good medicine I'll give to him. And it helped him. And I felt good about that. The next day it snowed the entirety. Oh, no. Day. I mean, sleet snow, this and that, but I'm okay. Then I got a flat tire. Then, but I was happy because my youngest son, my oldest son, my daughter-in-law, we were there so they could help me go get the tire fixed. It was a rental car, right? So I'm going, oh, this is good. See, look, Cindy, how everything works out. And then I'm in that particular rental car. I have to park like a mile away from the restaurant. And it didn't just snow. It was sideways sleep. Oh, no. And I gave myself permission to go, I am not happy. There is no version of joy I am feeling right now. I'm going to suspend <laughs> the thought I should be happy. I am miserable. I am cold. I am wet. I look horrible. I'm going to look even worse when I get in because it's going to melt. And I thought, but I will be happy when I sit down and eat a hamburger. <laughs> yeah, it's like a warm meal, a warm meal. You know, so we are our own coaches. Sometimes we just have to coach our way through and go, okay, just be miserable. It's okay. But, but where are you going? So keep going. Yeah, it's not losing the connection with things will be good. In fact, they actually are still good. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's broken. Everything's still working. Everything's going exactly as it should. But if you're in one of those spaces where you're like, I... I, I can't. I can't not be mad, sad, frustrated. I actually think it's an act of compassion to allow yourself to have the feeling. And in examples like that, the one that Cindy just shared, I imagine you can find that kind of funny a couple days, maybe even like hours after. It's like, oh, that was chaos. And then sometimes there's moments of anger or sadness that maybe are generational or they're situational, but that, that chord runs a little deeper. That's also a space where, 
oh my gosh, absolutely. You need to allow and acknowledge those feelings because that's going to be the inroad to release them. Again, the important thing that I want to make sure you guys as listeners hear, though, is there is a difference between feeling and being in an emotion, allowing yourself to explore it and its discomfort and all of the gross twists and turns and rolling in it. When you are rolling in it, that's when we go into victim energy. That's where we lose that connection with everything is actually always working out. That's where we get real weird and that heavier energy starts to snowball in a non-productive way. Absolutely. I was just working with a client earlier today, and I have worked with her several times. And she comes from a background of being sexually abused. So she's very anxious about a lot of things, mm -hmm. especially change. Just made a huge change. Yay. Good for her. So not only was she really scared, because like, am I really going to adapt? Now that I've done what I wanted, right. will I really adapt? But her mother was visiting her, who had not been the sexual abuser, but in the system. Sure. And she's like, I'm just so irritated with my mother. I'm just so this and I'm so that. And I see my mother doing to my daughter what was done to me. Like, go get that, go give that nice man a hug. Go do this. Go do that. Go be proper. I said, okay, wait a minute. These are really healthy feelings that you're feeling, which is that your mother never taught you to say no. Uh -huh. You didn't get to say no. So let you feel your no. Feel your uh -huh. no because you can't say yes to something unless you know your no's. Ooh, love that. Three seconds. Within three seconds, she was sort of like a feminine Thor, right? Mm -hmm. She just had like... Wow, I could tell my mother very kindly, no, mom, we don't make our daughter go hug strangers. She gets to say no. She gets to listen to herself. And I said, and then you're reinventing yourself. Yeah. That's energy. There's an energy inside. You can call it a feeling. You can call it an emotion. Uh, feelings, emotions, thoughts, thought programs, patterns, they're really just programmed energy. Mm -hmm. So... What's in the programming? Do you want to keep it or not? Do you want to change it? You know, there's a gift in every moment. Do you want to unpack the box, come out of it, and right, right. and get into a bigger world? You can you can say no if you want to, but you can also say yes. Oh, there are certainly times I think where it actually makes sense to say no, where you're like, I am at capacity, but you will also know when it's time to say yes, and you're just feeling a little bit of fear. And that's the good kind of fear. It's the excitement fear. And it's, yes, I am ready to start shifting some of this. This this conversation is, in a nice way, it's accidentally bringing us back to where I wanted to start. And then we just, of course, started talking about everything, which I love. This brings us back to the idea that, or the truth, really, that we are all our own healers, right? We can tune into our subtle body, tune into our chakra system, to look at, to release, to heal, to move this energy in motion. And Cindy, you know, I've taken your apprenticeship class. It just has, God, it was eight or nine months of just so much fantastic information. Um, but we talk a lot about so many different access points for working with really physical and mental health and your energy centers. So I would love, it, if you're open to it, if you could kind of share, let's say you have a super anxious client. They're like, Cindy, I don't know. Just look at look at my energy. Fix me. What is the first thing that you as a healer do and look for? And then also, what do you put on the individual, whether it's as homework or just for them to continue whatever you might have moved or started? So I start simple. Anytime I'm going to work with myself, because we are our own healers okay. and we're our own manifestors, or I'm going to work with a client or a group, I go through a very quick activation inside of myself. You can use anything. I always affirm my own spirit. That's the essence. That's that spark that's got it all together. You know, I affirm their essence. They can be whatever they want to be. I'm just going to really interrelate mm -hmm. with the part of them that does have the answers. I do believe in guides. So in that kind of process of going, I'm just going to interconnect with that person's real self. 
you know, I'm also interacting with my guides, their guides, whoever happens to be in the room. There Mm -hmm. could be a thousand angels in the room. You never know. I surrender. Mm. I say, greater spirit, you can use whatever word you want. Show me. So my job is actually really easy. I'm like, (laughs) I don't want to look at 12 chakras. I don't want to look at every age. I don't want to project into every potential future. They're anxious. What's the key? Maybe there's three keys. There's hardly ever more than three. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I get an answer. I get an image. I get a color. I get words. I get an event that they've gone through. It's like keep it simple is not stupid. Yeah. Energetically, you don't want to unlock everything. No. It's more like where's the starting spot because that can also be the ending spot. Mm. And then I work there. Now, it's really helpful to understand the chakras Mm -hmm. because they're mini brains. They're mini computers in and around the body. So people give them these magical powers these days. And and really, honestly, the chakras are energetic. They're energetic organs, just like we have a heart, lungs. We have chakras. They're energetic, subtle energy organs. They're much smarter than your regular organs, though, because they work with that 99% of the invisible energy. Every chakra operates on a band of frequencies. So the first chakra, which we see is red because that describes its frequencies, where it is in the body, it's in charge of that part of the body. That's a very physical part of the body. It's in the hips. It's in charge of not only what's in that geographic area, but it's activated when you're in the womb, when you're little. It's in charge of physicality. It's in charge of major, major physical issues. So it's really useful to have a sense of the basic chakras Mm -hmm. to go, oh, if this person's dealing with stomach problems, I can look at that chakra because it's a memory bank and it's a projection. What's in there is creating the future. So (laughs) for what it's in charge of. So let's work through what's stuck in there. Let's open up what's good in there. Very simple, right? Open up what's good in there or put something good in there Mm -hmm. and you're creating a different future too. There is so much beauty in the simplicity of the request, show me. Whether it's God, source, higher power, the universe, the wind, use whatever language you want. But there's, it's, it's really powerful. It almost is too simple, which I thought about a lot of this stuff when I first started to do my own healing work. I was like, wait, this is actually conceptually very easy. This idea of show me being one of those easy things to wake up in the morning and just say, show me what I need to do today. Show me who I need to be today. Or in this case, show me what is asking to be healed. And what's super cool is that that becomes connection with the universe, guides, angels, ancestors, forces that be. But it's also a connection to your intuition because What comes up when you're like, oh, I think it's this. You don't think it is. You know it is. And so there's a bit of trust work and trusting, yeah, I do actually know what maybe the one next step is or the one thing is that I can focus on here. You don't have to know the full end healing goal. And it's not separate. Intuition is not separate from physicality. Yes. I have two great examples. So a little over a year ago, my electricity went out in the bathroom upstairs. And I'm like, hmm okay, it's not working. And I thought, well, I think there's going to be more problems than just the bathroom. So the next day, the electricity went out in the back bedroom also. And I thought, yep, here we go. And then the electricity went out in the entire upstairs. And I thought, well, this doesn't look like intuition, but it is because the physical body is a tool for it. So is our home. So is our environment. Well, within a month, I had three new electrical boxes and a $12,000 spent. Mm -hmm. All right. But I'm like, well, it is what I never even felt bad. I'm like, well, obviously it's time for that. Then I decided to add on to the house. Well, I had decided a long time beforehand and the builder, but COVID and nothing's, you know, everything's in the middle of the ocean. So you can't start building or whatever. Then the builder came over and he goes, you know, we're really going to have to check your electricity because it's got to be at the highest level to do this. I said, already done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He goes, that was smart of you. I said, 
Nope. It just started going out. So I, I put in better electricity. <laughs> yep. Intuition is practical. It literally is. It's nothing weird or witchy. I mean, it is weird and witchy and wonderful and all of those things, but it's also it's it is. just as normal as the desk you're sitting at or the water you're drinking, both of which are just energy. I mean, honestly, it's real. It's real. It's practical and it's vivid and it's wonderfully spooky, too. Yeah. I, and I always love a little light. I love those those. Oh, my gosh. Kind of moments like I, we, I shared this on when you and I did a Facebook live oh, a while back. But intuition is how I ultimately got connected with you. Right. As I had insane Claire audience that would not shut off. And I was at my actual wits end. I was like, this noise is driving me insane. ENTs my whole life, but it was a big stretch. So I'm reading books and I'm flipping through TV channels and I couldn't find anything. That was the answer to my question, which is why can't I shut this particular sound off? I can always shut the other ones off. And it wouldn't stop. And I eventually just flopped on some channel I don't even remember what it was, and it was not about Claire Audience. And then there you appear on screen talking about Claire Audience. You like redirected an interview. And I was like, oh my gosh, the universe, this is great. Signed up for your class, and then so many things kind of blossomed from that. But we flow, we flow. If we go with it, it's a flow, and we're led, and others are guided to help us too. Oh, absolutely. It's funny because I like the phrase, pray before you pray. It, you also have to trust before you trust. It's like, I don't know where I'm going, but I do know that it's safe enough to follow. And the good news is you can't actually do it wrong. For anyone listening, and especially if you're like newer to this, and this is completely different information. And then also for people who are like, yes, these are my people. I totally understand it. You're already in the practices. You're already in the healing work just by virtue of you being human in your body and being open to receiving information. So this trust work or the healing work that might lie in the next, I don't know, three to 500 feet in front of you. See it as done. Yes. See it as done. Yes. Tr yes. Trust and flow. I have a couple of good stories with that because people often come to me and they want to know their future. And I'm like, well, you've got to write it also. Hello. So 20 years ago, I often get what I call God. Not very, very uncommonly, but talking to me, you know, I get a vision for myself or one of my two kids every, maybe every six months, right? Or a, or a voice mm -hmm. that I call God that just says something. And you'd think that that would make it easy, but it doesn't. So 20 years ago, this voice, which I would call God, you can call whatever you want, said to me, you are going to write a series of books and each will feature a different chakra. Mm -hmm. I thought, great. 20 years ago, I'm bringing it up to publishers. I'm waiting for the contract. I got that contract about nine months ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're in. And you're in those Yes. <laughs> I mean, people, I remember giving a reading to a woman years ago and Seven of the eight pictures that we saw came true. She was mad that the eight hadn't happened. Uh -huh. And I'm like, first of all, honey, seven out of eight is pretty good. And second, what did you do to screw up the eight? Yeah. Because I'm not in charge of your life. Right. Right. But it's really, we've got to be kind of in the process too. Years and years ago, I had a woman come to me and very long time ago, I don't know how long ago, 15 years, maybe 20, something like that. And she sat across from me and I kept seeing her husband die. Oh. I did not want to see that. She had two little kids. I asked, I'm going, I don't want to say this. I don't want to go there. Do not pick on me, spirit. I'm not going to go here. But it's all I could see. And so I gently sort of like, you're married, two kids. What does your husband do? Owns his own business. And I just like, I just threw it up in the air. And I said, just tell me, share me, share with me, show me. What do I say? And the only two words I heard were life insurance. So I just said, do you and your husband have life insurance? Wow. Well, now that's a pretty obvious prediction. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But I asked it and she goes, no, we don't. I said, you know, 
I just think sometimes we need to be really practical in our lives. Mm -hmm. If anything happened to you, your husband couldn't quit working to take care of the kids. Anything happened to him, you're not going to run his business. It's a construction business. She came back about a year and a half later. Her husband had just died of ALS <gasps> that had not been diagnosed when she came to see me. Oh, my God. They got life insurance. She was able to continue going because she had life insurance. Wow. So it's it's the intuition is a juxtaposition. You don't really know if everything's actually going to happen or not or how solid it is, how you're going to get there, how long it's going right. to take. It's all the things <laughs> that people more, want to know. <laughs> Yeah, but the more vivid it is, you've got to believe it and know that it's not going to subtract from the living of your life. You know, spirit's not going to show you something if it's going to get in the way of you being in your life. You can't live for the future. You live in the now. Right. It's a really unusual, you know, sort of dance, how our intuition reveals things. It is an unusual dance. And it also introduces this concept that we might have to just do a whole nother episode at some point on this. But the idea of fixed points or relatively fixed points in your life, whether they are moments of healing or the death of a loved one in this example, that really... it's likely we don't have a ton of change or, excuse me, agency over, but there's a lot that we do have agency over, a lot. Like probably eight months ago, one of my friends was doing a healing for me and she was like, oh, you know, I think it was like last October, not going to be a good month for you, Amanda. Here's why. And I was like, oh, we're not doing that. So let's drop in look at what within me I need to shift to avoid bringing that lesson, quote unquote, upon myself. But it didn't have to be a lesson because I didn't need to experience that. Right. So there's changes that we can create with a lot, but there can't be the attachment to controlling everything. And I think that's where we get like knocked back into the I have no control and everything is really hard mindset. There are. They're what I call destiny points. Those are fixed Mm. points. There's probabilities and then there's tons of possibilities. But but sometimes we can even shift a destiny point to some extent. I worked with a man a few years ago. He was a lawyer when Fidel Castro was alive. And Fidel Castro was flying him into Cuba to potentially have this lawyer start a whole bunch of subway uh, chains down in Cuba. And so I'm reading into the situation and I say to the lawyer, well, I'd be really careful because I'm not that sure this deal's going to happen. And he may be so angry that it's not happening. He could try to kill you on the way back. I mean, that's pretty bold. But I saw a plane crash. I just saw a plane crash. And I said, so be really wary. So later, the lawyer comes back to see me. He goes, wow, I went to Cuba. The deal didn't happen. Fidel was really mad. I'm on a private plane flying back. And... One of the engines goes out and there's two engines, thank goodness. And he goes, and then the second engine goes out. And I'm like, is this what she was talking about? Mm. So I prayed, I prayed and I could feel and see these wings of angels coming under the plane and that second engine mm. re-caught again. So Ugh. beautiful, isn't it? I just had, I had chills. I love stories like that. And there are so many of them in existence. You just have to talk to people and get a little bit of information. Like I've had some clients tell me just wild stories where it is, it's almost instantaneous support or instantaneous healing. You just use the word prayer. I know that prayer can be, I love the word prayer now. But it used to be really triggering for me with a Catholic upbringing that I never identified with. Prayer is also just energy. That's all it is. It's energy and intention. Do you see how we're talking about the same thing, you guys? It's all energy. There's so much that you, as the listener and as a self-healer, there's so much that you can do within your own energy. And it can be fun. It can be really fun. And I think in that example, Cindy just shared life-saving <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And prayer does not have to have a religious connotation. No. I usually think of prayer or petitioning as mm. talking. 
right? You're you're communicating outward. Meditation is receiving. Yes. Right? Yes. And contemplation is just being. We need to do all three activities in order to just kind of be who we are and keep exploring and expanding as well. Oh, I love that. I think that's a fantastic note to end on, at least for this point in time. So, Cindy, to close us out, what is one quick take-home tip that you can offer listeners? Oh, Oh, I think it goes back to the two words that you really pulled out of our conversation. Show me. Like walk around every so often and just go, show me. I don't even think it matters who you think you're talking to, right? The air, nature, the universe, your own spirit, you know, somebody at a grocery store. It doesn't really matter because we're all interconnected. There truly is this oneness. And then the most fun is wait and see what comes. So give it some time. It might take a little while to line up like a flock of crows to be sitting in a tree to all like kind of fly in front of you to give you a message, right? It could take a day or two for nature to convene to allow that to happen. So so say show me and then wait to see what it is and how the universe responds to you. I think that's it. Fantastic. I love it. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us. As always, it was a great conversation. I always love talking to you. If you don't mind, can you share with listeners, how can they find you? How can they reach you? Lovely fun. Thank you, Amanda. Yes, it's cindydale.com spelled strange. You don't spell it strange, literally. It's c-y-n-d-i-dale.com. You can go to my website and see everything that's going on there. There you have it, you guys. We will see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to Anxiety Talks with Amanda Huggins. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe or pay it forward by sharing the link with a friend. For one-on-one coaching, online workshops, and more, visit www.amandahugginscoaching.com or say hi. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at It's Amanda Huggins. We'll see you in the next episode.